Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and I join you with my friend Joe. Hey there, guys. And we're going to talk you through all the games that happened in Game Week 14 and take you through to our predictions on Game Week 15. So a few of the topics that we're going to be covering today, Chase Young wrecking quarterback hopes, Mahomes and his interceptions, Packers pinching that top seed in the NFC, Newton getting benched for the second time this season, and would you believe it, the Bears scoring on offense. For our first game then, let's dive straight into that Rams 24, Patriots 3 and Cam Newton getting benched for the second time this season. Yeah, Cam benched, probably one of the biggest stories from this game. We mentioned it last week, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Patriots. Playoffs are looking more and more unlikely for them now. I mean, they're still technically in the hunt, but it's unlikely. So where do they go from here? Jarrett Stidham, when he comes on, he's shown me nothing so far to make me think that he's a starting quarterback. He looks more like a kind of career backup, if that kind of makes sense. But let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Cam Akers, huge game, 29 carries, 171 yards. Definitely a breakout for him. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the Rams' backfield as being a kind of free-headed beast. I mean, beast was a bit of a stretch for it. It was a free-headed committee, and it seems that Akers has kind of taken it by the scruff of the neck and made it his. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that's worth pointing out is that his success in the run game also opened up a lot of opportunities for Goff as well. It meant that they could run a lot more play action because they did have to be aware of that run threat, which allowed Goff to have a a good game as well. So it worked both ways. Yeah, but that's just, you know, that's just absolute kind of basics. We'd be surprised really how many teams kind of do that wrong. But you need to establish the run before you can really get the pass game going. But like you say, you see the best from Goff when he's got that kind of going alongside him. It's no surprise really that Pete Gurley coincided with Pete Goff a couple of years ago. So do you think there is a possibility that we might see a bit more of uh, Stidham now? The Pats aren't playing for anything this season. Their playoff hopes are done. Is there any value in them seeing what they've got in a player like this if there's the potential that they might not renew Cam in the back of their mind? I think it's too complicated just yet. When Belichick was asked about it last week, he said that Cam Newton is still the starting quarterback. So this seems to be the second time, but just a game kind of thing. If Cam Newton plays bad again or consistently just fails to make much happen, then maybe we will. But I mean, you start doing things like benching Cam when it's almost playing your hand too early if they want to keep him or not keep him at the end of the year. So no, I think they'll go with Cam Newton. They'll start Cam Newton next week and probably will for most of the rest of the season. Maybe the last game when they're definitely out of playoffs, when we're mathematically out of a hunt, then they possibly might. Okay. One thing I just want to finish on here. I don't know why. uh, It's the third week running that I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I've got a bit of a thing for the Patriots special teams. I just want to say Jake Bailey. I think Jake Bailey right now is the best punter in the National Football League. He has six kicks in the game, 310 yards, a long of 71. And four of his punts landed in the opponent's 20. I get excited by special team stats. But if there's one thing they don't need to worry about going into next year, it's probably their punter. There you go. We'll get on to another Bailey who has kicking duties later on in the podcast, I imagine. Uh, We certainly will. (laughs) 
cool. So it's very much looking after this game that the Rams playoff hopes are looking very solid and the Patriots are looking a long, long way off, almost a, a nigh on impossible task there. Yeah, they're not going to make playoffs really. I just don't see it happening. They're basically out, just mathematically in the hump. Yeah. So then let's move on to Broncos 32, Panthers 27. Yeah. I'm not hearing many people talking about Drew Locke on fan sites, in the media. Drew Locke probably had himself a career day. 280 yards, four touchdowns, the highest pass rating of any quarterback in the league last week. What did you think about Drew Locke, Jazz? He didn't start off great, but he came out, I don't know, maybe was it second quarter, absolutely on fire. The one thing I would say, though, is watching this, it felt very much more like a game for the defences. The halftime score was 13-7, but the two teams had combined for just 225 net yards in the first half, which just shows you how important those defences were, both in terms of limiting the opponent's offence, but also in helping to generate points themselves. You're right, Drew Locke did come out and have a big game, but I feel like it was the defences that kind of set that up. I disagree with you a little bit. I think you're taking too much away from Drew Locke there. Like, yeah... I 225 yards in the first half. I mean, it's low, but it's not like exceptionally low. That's combined for both teams. Yeah, it's low, but it's not exceptionally low. It's not too much less than I really expect from these teams because they're not really potent on the best of weeks. But look, the Broncos still scored 32 points. Drew Locke threw for four touchdowns. So there's 28 points from his arm kind of right there. He didn't rely on any one receiver at all. There was no receiver who got more than five targets. I wouldn't go as far as saying he's playing for his job, but considering where people thought he would be this year and the progress they thought he'd made, he's disappointed, I guess, in a lot of those ways. So I think he's got to keep on playing like this for the rest of the season. Three more games, get a bit of a stretch going now, and then carry that into next year. Because at the minute, I think the favourite option which will probably happen is that John Elway will probably bring a veteran presence into the quarterback room next year. They're not going to be low enough to draft a QB or a QB of any quality. So he might pick up, you know, an aging star just to bring in to maybe put a rocket up Drew Locke. So the better he plays now, the less pressure they'll be at the start of the season. Yeah. We saw more inconsistencies from the Broncos' run game. You know, with big-time run stuffers Zach Kerr sidelined, I thought this was actually a good opportunity for them to put some yardage down. But Melvin Gordon mustered just 68 yards on 13 carries, and Philip Lindsay was even worse with just 24 yards on 11 carries. I mean, Melvin Gordon was still relatively efficient, like 68 yards on 13 carries. Do some quick math here. That's more than five yards a carry. So it's not like his rushing was bad. I think it was more just a case of they were going with a pass game more. It doesn't look as good when you compare it to the Panthers, who had a lot more success scoring on the ground. You had Davis finding the end zone twice and Bridgewater scrambling for a touchdown himself. It shows the two different approaches to the game that the teams took. I feel it's probably a little bit unfair to criticise Melvin Gordon there. Like, I mean, over five yards a carry is, is pretty decent. And I think the only thing that I also wanted to point out in this game was just how bad the Panthers' 9 was. I mean, poor Bridgewater, he just didn't, he didn't stand a chance. His stats were respectable, but he was just under pressure for so much of this game, taking four sacks. It was difficult for him. The Panthers' O-line is kind of 
similar in a lot of ways to what the Vikings are in that they're good at kind of zone block for the run. But in past kind of defense, they seem to really struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Uh, next game, Houston 7, Bears 36. Now, I hesitate a little bit there because when I wrote this score down, I originally wrote Bears 7. It's just a kind of mental thing. Like, I expect <laughs> to write the low score for the Bears. But hey, look, Bears, they uh, put up an offensive performance. It's taken until about week, what, week 14 now. But there you go. Yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't think the Bears had a 36-point game in them, which surprised me. Nor did I see the Texans only scoring seven, despite the Bears' impressive defence. I think it's worth noting that Watson was playing without Will Fuller, without Brandon Cooks, no Randall Cobb, no David Johnson. So his options were limited. It was really showing. Yeah, yeah. So that might explain the seven side of the scoreline. But they demonstrated in this game, the Texans, that they are not over their defensive woes just yet. And especially after last week, where I was saying they seem to be improving in that area. I mean, they made Montgomery look good with a... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to stop you there. I don't think they did make Montgomery look good. Montgomery had one huge score. And don't get me wrong, fair play on that huge score. He ran for 80 yards, which is the longest run in the Super Bowl era for the Bears, which shocked me. When you think of the, the running backs the Bears have had in the Super Bowl era, when you've got like Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, even like Matt Forte, you've got players like that. And David Montgomery just broke the longest run. I found that mind-boggling a little bit. But you take away that exceptional run that he had, and then he's left with 10 carries for 33 yards, which is poor. That's, that's an average of 3.3 a carry. I'm not convinced on Montgomery at all, and I don't think he did look that good against Houston his stats are just bumped by that one carry. That is worth pointing out because you are right. He didn't do a lot else outside of that, but it's those kind of the Texans defense being cut for you know, an 80 yard run or whatever is the kind of stuff that we were used to seeing in week one. So it's just yeah. a, a sign yeah. that yeah. it's not fixed quite as much as it looked. When it breaks down, it really does break down. I guess that's, uh, that's the kind of point there. One thing that happened in this game as well, Alan Robinson reached 1,000 receiving yards on the season. I was just wondering, have you seen who's been throwing him these balls? (laughs) (laughs) Where has Alan Robinson got 1,000 receiving yards from? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) So so that's a mystery of a week. Someone call the Hardy Boys. Right, Dallas Cowboys 30, Cincinnati Bengals 7. So I've got a question for you, Joe. Yeah. Before this game, Bernard had the longest active streak in the NFL of rushing attempts without a fumble. That's right, yeah. Do you know the number of attempts he had? The number of attempts he had had since he last fumbled? Yeah. Is it something like ridiculous? Something like like around like 800, something like that? Oh, Joe, on the money, my friend. 830 attempts without a fumble until this game. I think I did hear that mentioned by the commentator, and it did stick. Yeah, that's, that is ridiculous, though. That is a long streak. And it was a kind of pivotal moment when he did fumble the ball. Like, I mean, the game was still kind of close then, and the field position as well. That was at least three points, but probably seven that was taken off the board because he fumbled it there. Could have been a different game had he not. Yeah, and then speaking of running backs, in a game where the Cowboys won 30-7, to is there more concern there that that there should have been more from Zeke. Yeah, he only yeah. ran for 48 yards on 12 carries. He's just not doing it this season at all, is he? 
Pollard's looking all right when he's getting the ball. He's not looking worse than Zeke. Look, we touched on Zeke a couple of weeks ago. I don't think there's anything new to say at all, but I agree with you. I saw that. 48 yards. You've got the game in control, and you've got time on the clock to run down. Why weren't we getting more out of Zeke? Yeah. Good question. Cowboys were now one game behind in the NFC East. They're five and eight now. The football team are top six and seven. You know, the Cowboys have got three games left. They've got Eagles and the Giants to play as well. It's... they're still very much in the hunt for a playoff spot. Well, I mean, we titled our podcast The East is Rising last week as a bit of a joke. It's starting to feel like less of a joke now, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Next game, Titans 31, Jaguars 10. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say about this game other than it went largely as people expected apart from the return of Minshew, perhaps. Jags couldn't compete with the Titans and that just led Derek Henry to do what Derek Henry does. And AJ Brown had a very good game as well. Yeah. The one thing I just want to add to this is the Jags have a terrible record this year. 1-1, which is what the first game of the season. They've lost every game since then. So they're, so what, what, they're 1-12 and 12 right now. Still though, four of the last five games they've played have been settled by less than a score. And we're talking, you know, games against uh, the Vikings, Green Bay. Aside from a spanking they got against Pittsburgh five weeks ago, all the recent games have been close. So the Jags have been kind of hanging in there with teams. The Titans just didn't let them do that. Like, they blew them away. So well done to the Titans. Glennon benched for Minshew. I think that if there's a, a kind of klaxon, that should sound, when it's coaching issues. It's when coaches are dropping a quarterback, playing him a game or two maximum, and then benching him for someone else. It screams coaching problems. Obviously, the Jaguars have already sacked their GM, but I think that Marone is getting in a hotter and hotter seat. Yeah, I can really understand that, to be honest, because... What are they hoping to gain from that? You know, it's highly likely that Minshew will not be starting for the Jags next season. So why do this kind of two games in, two games out for all three quarterbacks? Why not just say, well, look, this is the quarterback that we trust to be our backup next season once we draft someone and we're going to run with them until the end of the season for the practice? What if they're messing Minshew around? Unless they get a good trade offer in from like a wildcard team. You know, I wouldn't put it past a team like the Bears going in for him and overpaying for him. It, it, it's kind of like a Bears move. But just say for argument's sake, it'll be probably Minshew that stays there because he's still on a rookie deal. He'll be going into his third year. I could see a situation where the Jags draft Fields and then they say that Fields isn't necessarily a starter. He's competing in training camp against Minshew. I'll put it this way. I don't think that Minshew should have been dropped or kept out once he came back healthy. Yeah. That's a bit of hindsight as well, but I don't think they should have done that. But whatever they are doing just screams coaching issues. And it's this kind of stuff that when they call in Doug Marone at the end of the season to sack him, it'll be this kind of stuff that they refer to. Yeah. Then we've got Chiefs 33, Dolphins 27. Mahomes came into this matchup with just two interceptions this season. So to see him toss two picks in the opening quarter alone was a testament to the Dolphins' D, I think. Yeah, it was, it was, but we've mentioned it on the pod in previous weeks. I said after the Bucks game that he basically threw two interceptions in that game and got away with them because there were penalties called, one of which was a very dodgy penalty. 
but he threw two pure interceptions. And they weren't like Aaron Rodgers types where it's a free play and he's just going for a big bomb. So although he only had two in the season kind of going up to now, he's been living life a little bit dangerously. I'm not going to say that I was expecting three. That's pushing it. But it's been coming that there's been one or two a game and it's kind of caught up. But when you turn around and say he's still through for 393 yards, he's still through for two touchdowns. He nearly had a passer rating of 100. He plays bad in inverted commas and throws three interceptions, but has a better week than most of the quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think what that also showed, though, was that the corners and the safety were doing a very good job in terms of generating those turnovers. But where the Dolphins really did struggle defensively was in their linebacker area with Kyle Van Noyau and Ellendon Roberts because when you look at where the yards were generated Kelsey had an absolute game and that's typically the area that those linebackers would be covering. Uh, Yes and no Charles I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because a few of those interceptions actually came from pass deflections from the linebackers. Van Ginkle, the linebacker, he's, his name gets called every week. This is a guy whose stat lines don't always look huge, but he just has impact plays. He got his hand to one of the passes, which was intercepted, and it was because he got his hand to it that it popped the ball up and made it easier for the cornerback to catch. So yes and no. And I mean, look, Kelsey is a mismatch for most linebackers. Like, I mean, yeah. like, the amount of yardage that he put up, tell me one team has really stopped him this season. It kind of is what it is there. And look, talking about kind of like linebackers and the front seven, CEH. Now, I gave him credit a couple of weeks ago when he had his big game. I gave credit where credit was due. So I'm going to give criticism where I think it's due again now. 16 carries, 32 yards. And it wasn't just that he had an abysmal two yards per carry. It was that he constantly failed on short yardage and goal-to-go situations again. He can't be trusted. If you are at 3-1 or 4-1 for these Kansas City Chiefs, you can't trust him because he probably won't get it. Like, more often than not, way more often than not, he fails to make that important yard. And I've said it before, it's not a huge weakness, but when you're in close games, in playoffs against the Steelers or against the Bills or against the Colts, or you get further than that and you're in a big game and you're against the Saints or the Packers or whoever, you're going to want someone who can get you those short yardage gains. And it's these kind of things that would be keeping me up at night a little bit if I was Andy Reid. And then talking of interceptions, we also saw Tua throw his first interception and take a safety as well. Yeah, he did that, but I don't think that he had a a particularly bad game. I don't think he had a a particularly good game. But for a rookie and what his fourth start, I don't think there's too much to kind of criticise there. He's going to throw an interception eventually, especially when you're playing against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs where you've just got to air the ball out. So, you know... I think he adjusted quite well as well uh, after a sort of slightly shaky start. And I think we mentioned it either last week or the week before about how Tua didn't start too well and had the opportunity to turn it around and how that experience would be good for him and help him. And it almost seemed like he was able to put that straight into practice in this game. Yeah, but you're saying the shaky start, the Dolphins went 10-0 up to start the game. Yeah, they did. And then they they gave up 30 points. Yeah, so it wasn't a shaky start. It was a kind of shaky hamburger meat in a burger of not badness. <laughs> One last thing I just want to finish on. The last five games that the Chiefs have played now have all been settled by less than a score. And that's wins against Dolphins, Broncos, Buccaneers, Raiders and Panthers. And there's some not so great teams in there. So living life dangerous a little bit. 
when you think about Dolphins, Bucks, they're strong defensive teams, even Broncos. They've got good defense. Raiders and Panthers don't particularly. No, that's why I left them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess my, my kind of point is that in a lot of people's just kind of perception, it's that the Chiefs blow teams away. A lot of people always bet on the over for the Chiefs. They are winning. They're doing what they have to do to win. And you've always got to respect that. But they're not, I think, as dominant as a lot of people have in their mind that they are. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next game. Uh, Cardinals 26, Giants 7. Yeah, it was another one, a bit like the Texans defense, where I asked the question last week, are teams starting to figure out Murray's running threat? And then New York go and let him scramble 13 times for 47 rushing yards. Yeah, Giants just played poorly. Daniel Jones was benched. He was just eating up sacks. But I mean, when Colt McCoy came on, and I mean, he had two sacks in a very limited amount of time. A lot of that you got put on the offensive line for the Giants, but then the defensive line for the Cardinals, just had themselves an absolute day. And in particular, Hassan Riddick, who had five sacks. I mean, take a bow for that, a new franchise record. And it was good to see Kenyon Drake get another touchdown. And it's just starting to feel like he's starting to put a few of those back-to-back games together and get a bit of rhythm there in that team. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. He's still not what I'd say a bell cow back like I thought he would be at the start of the season, but he's building kind of back up to that now. Chase Edmonds is is still there as a third down pass catching back a little bit too much. But we know that Drake can do that as well. So Drake is getting more and more touches, more and more involved. And I think that'll be really important for the Cardinals to push on in this playoff push that they've got right now. Yeah. So it was an important win for the Cardinals. It was one they needed to keep their playoff hopes alive. They've dealt with that and we'll see how they progress over the next few game weeks. Yeah. Whereas the Giants, they didn't need to particularly win this to keep their playoff hopes alive because. You can lose, you know, eight games and still have your playoff hopes alive in the NFC East. But they've got a very hard schedule for the rest of the season. They've got Browns, they've got Ravens, they've got Cowboys. I'm not going to give my predos too early, but I'm probably not going to give Giants wins for those first two games. And who knows for the Cowboys, week 17, that could be a decider right there. Okay, next game, Vikings 14, Bucks 26. I sounded a little bit too enthusiastic going into that because I certainly don't feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady looked like he was suffering from the same thing as Cam Newton in the first quarter, just failing to complete the most basic of passes. Yeah. But, you know, we mentioned it slightly earlier that this is now the second game in a row where Bailey's kicking has affected the team. And this week it led to a loss and the Vikings missed two field goals and an extra point. And You just cannot be leaving those points on the board in a game that really right until the last moments was quite close. Yeah, um, I've been doing something that I don't like to do and I'm not particularly proud of this, but I've been arguing on fan sites about Dan Bailey. (laughs) A lot of Vikings fans, for some reason, because the team is doing badly, they've got a lot of annoyance with Zimmer and they like to blame Zimmer for things. It's an easy thing to do. Zimmer plays football in an old-fashioned way, sacks Zimmer, it's Zimmer's fault. A lot of fans, more than I expected, were blaming Zimmer for Dan Bailey's performance. So I just want to kind of like talk about this quickly. In terms of getting his confidence back, the first drive, he had a PAT. Now, if there's a confidence-boosting kick, you'd think it's probably a PAT. Really, it's not going to get too much easier than that. He then had a 36-yarder, which again is a regulation kick. Should be easy. Now, he missed both of them. Now, all the fans are criticising Zimmer for them making him do a 54-yarder. But 
You're on the Buccaneers 36 yard line. It's 4th and 15. What are you going to do? You're not going to run a play because you're not going to make 15 yards up. No, of course you're not. And if you don't go for that kick, then everyone's going to turn around and criticise him for leaving points on the board and for being too aggressive and, and doing stupid plays. Absolutely. So making Bailey take that kick when he'd already missed two is something that Zimmer has been getting a lot of flack for, but it's totally on Bailey. Issue with Bailey is that, like a lot of Vikings players who have underperformed, he's overpaid. He's the 14th highest paid kicker in the league. Going into this game, he was 21st in field goal percentage and 23rd in PAT attempts. And just to add as well, his position of being 21st in field goal percentage, he'd only attempted four kicks over 50 yards. Most of the guys who are below him had attempted a lot more 50 yarders, which is obviously going to bring their uh, average down. He's not playing how he should be for the contract that he's on. Problem is, though, that he's got guaranteed money. I think that if the Vikings cut him right now, I think that's 2.1 million of dead money and only 50k saved on the cap. It wouldn't destroy the Vikings to cut him right now. I don't think they will, but who knows? He could well be benched and they could be bringing in some other guys to take a look at. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, the Vikings couldn't capitalise on the early lead that they did have, and it led to Brady eventually catching fire a little later with some help from the poor Vikings D. And, I mean, they had several pass interference penalties in the end zone. Stupid ones as well. The worst one, the one that really sticks, is when Brady went for the long pass to Gronk. And Gronk had double, almost triple coverage. Yeah. Like, they just needed to bat the ball down. And rather than do that, they just attacked Gronk, called a blatant PI call, which gave up kind of three easy points. That combined with the kicking issues, the Vikings made a rod for their own back here. Takes them out of the playoff picture now. The Bucks have the head-to-head record against them. It was unlikely the Vikings were going to make playoffs. It's just got a hell of a lot more unlikely now. Yeah. I suspected Rojo might cause trouble for the Vikings because of their poor run defence, and he did just that, rushing for 80 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries. But I think the thing that probably surprised me the most was that Cook also punched a hole in the Bucks' solid run defence. I mean, he got 102 yards and a touchdown on 22 carries against a team that we know is exceptionally good against stopping the run. Yeah, and I think that, in fairness, we've just got to say that's a quality that Cook is playing at right now, that he kind of transcends good defences, and that's what great players do. And, you know, in fairness as well, the Vikings' O-line does block very well for the run. It's just, you know, pass protection that they struggle against, and that's something that's kind of most visual as well. When a running back doesn't make yards, it's very easy to say, oh, the running back's playing badly, and not to put it on the O-line. But when a quarterback gets sacked, it's a lot more obvious that the O-line has failed. Yeah. So yeah, so that's something that the Vikings are good at. It's a good point, but well done, Cook, for kind of making those yards. Mm. So then we move on to the Colts 44 and Raiders 27. I think I tried to get a little bit too cute in my predos for this one last week because uh, everything went to plan. The Colts defense smothered the Raiders in the second half of this game and allowed their team to pull ahead to a convincing win in the end. Yeah, and the Colts were just relentless in terms of scoring, just drive after drive after drive, just putting points on this Raiders team. Everything just kind of clicked there. It was really good. The Colts were so good on offense that they went and got Paul Gunther fired. Like, I mean, that basically kind of sums it up there. Raiders D hasn't been great. In most of the metrics that you talk about, yards allowed, they were 25th, turnovers 22nd, points against 30th. 
32nd bottom of the league in allowing rush touchdowns, 29th in pen yards. The D4, the Raiders, has been bad for a lot of the season, but the Colts just really turned it on and showed them what was what. Yeah, and I think as well, I need to say that I was quizzing on previous weeks whether we'd seen the last of Jonathan Taylor because Hines came into this team, started finding a starting job and really muscled Taylor out. But I thought he'd come back. Yeah, you did say that and he's proving that he's he's by no means done and dusted. He had a, a really good performance in this game. Yeah, but that's not to say that he will have quiet weeks going forward there. You've still got Hines in there. Well, yeah, I mean, Hines still rushed for 58 yards on just seven attempts so he's still performing yeah yeah and I think that they'll use both of those guys creatively going forward but they might go with a hot hand a little bit but Raiders now find themselves in a really bad place they're out of the playoffs they basically need to win out their last three games to have any chance and they've got Chargers Dolphins and Broncos they lose any one of those games and they're not making playoffs and I think even winning all three of them there's no guarantees there so that's why you end up getting DCs fired. And then are we going to talk about Josh Jacobs and starting, not starting, maybe? <laughs> like, the man was literally trolling fantasy owners. <laughs> because I don't have Josh Jacobs, I can almost see a funny side of it. But if I was a Josh Jacobs owner in fantasy, I would be very upset. You'd be fuming, wouldn't you? I mean, the man himself tweets, I'm not starting tonight. So you'd leave him on your bench. And then for him to play, I, it would just send you nuts, wouldn't it? Are there Vegas laws against that? You'd feel that there should be. Well, well, teams have to do their injury designations and all so that So he kind of was thing. listed as active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to be accurate because if you don't put things accurately there, teams can get huge fines, lose draft picks. You've got to be very accurate with what you put in your injury report. So for him to then come out and say that, I've not really seen really if this is a breach of any kind of rules. But it feels like it might be. Who knows? One to look into. Maybe get back to that next week. Yeah. Next game, hardly anything to talk about here. So I, I, I'm, I'm not really going to talk about much. Jets 3, Seahawks 40. I guess the only question that I have for you here, Chaz, is, is it better to lose by 37 points like this or in the embarrassing, atrocious fashion like they did last week against the <laughs> I mean, it's a really good question. I, I would almost say like this because yeah. at least it doesn't speak to complete inadequacy in the the coaching well maybe it does who knows I think the really important thing from this game is something that you mentioned in the previous episodes which is Donald still has something to play for here and something to prove but he was appalling in this game against one of the worst defenses in the league and he was lucky to not have three interceptions added to his poor stat line thanks to drops so what do you think this means for Donald the only way that Donald was going to keep his job is if he managed to drag the team to one or two wins and take them out of the first or um, second pick. That's the only way that he was going to save his job. It was It's in his hands, kind of, and he hasn't done that. So it just makes it a lot easier, really, to bring in a new starter and not even really have that kind of competition in camp. Just bring a new guy in, say, you're our starter. We're going to give you all the first team reps. We're moving on. And I guess in terms of the Jets, the only kind of downside is that if they were to trade Donald away, you're going to get less for him now than you were. Well, this is what I'm thinking. I think he might even struggle to find a starting spot in the NFL, to be honest, off the back of these performances. He probably won't get a starting spot. It would have to be a team who is almost writing off the season 
I don't see him getting a starting spot anywhere at all, unless someone like the Bears. <laughs> Whenever there's a quarterback who probably shouldn't be a starter, but he's almost kind of fringes, I can see them playing for the Bears. <laughs> Frank Gore was cleared from his concussion prior to kickoff. He was limited to 23 yards on eight carries and a fumble, which is all good news for the Jets losing record and more bad coaching. Yeah, yeah. And so then the final thing that I'm going to finish off, this is a question, but I don't expect you to have the answer. The Seahawks were obviously so far in front, they wanted to look after Wilson and brought out their backup quarterback. How many backup quarterbacks have the Jets seen this season now? (laughs) That's such a good point. Oh my goodness. If that is not the height of disrespect, I don't know what is. I'm going to actually research this. I didn't get around to researching it before the pod, but I'm going to have a look and see how many backup quarterbacks they've seen. I would imagine it's quite a lot. And I'm going to put it out there, ask some kind of stat heads who are out there what the uh, record is. I'm not sure if that's even a record that you can easily find. But I would imagine they have seen a lot of backup quarterbacks this season. Okay, moving on to the next game. Packers 31, Lions 24. I don't have a huge amount to say about this one, Charles. You might have a little bit more for me. Just the only kind of key takeaways for me, though, was that it was positive for Green Bay in that they only gave up an average 3.4 yards a carry after seeing how weak their run defense has been in quite a few recent games. Didn't manage to uh, generate a turnover. But hey, it's a win. It's a win that could have been a trap game for them. And they're in a great spot now in the NFC. Yeah, I think they're pretty much all the key points, Joe. This win takes the Packers into the top seed for the NFC. For me personally, it was a bit bittersweet because it meant the Saints also had to lose and they were the only team to mess up Mayaki this week. We'll get on to the Saints in a bit later, but moving back to this game, it seemed a lot closer than I think anyone was expecting for the majority of the game. Both quarterbacks played well, but I agree. The real surprise for me was that Swift only managed to rush for 24 yards, and we've spoken week in and week out about how poor the Green Bay run defense was. So it seems surprising to me that not only was he ineffective, only rushing for 24 yards, but he was also their lead for carries with only seven carries and this wasn't a game that they were blown out from using the running back yeah it weren't like they were chasing a game for large portions no so I was really surprised to see that they didn't employ their running backs more knowing that that is how you hurt Green Bay it just seemed like a an odd coaching decision agree with you anyway let's move on to the next one Falcons 17 Chargers 20 And the Chargers didn't choke on a final kick for once. (laughs) Well, yeah, they didn't choke on a final kick, but both teams choked enough that if you were teaching kids about the game of football, I think you'd be better off showing them no game tape than you would this game tape. Yeah, I made the, in hindsight, stupid move of having Matt Ryan as my starter in fantasy. I'm not going to say it cost me the uh, matchup because I lost by about 20 points, but it would certainly have kept me a bit more excited had he not thrown three interceptions in the second half. Yeah. But, I mean, we saw more shenanigans from the Chargers as well. Uh, This classic thing that we've seen, this might be the third game that they've done this now, where they're choosing to run it on third down with no timeouts. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then with 15 seconds remaining on a fourth and one, they looked like they were going to spike the ball, but then they ran off the field because Lynn sent out the field goal unit. The kick was good, but the players running off the field couldn't get to the sideline in time, so it resulted in a penalty and the end of the half, and it's just like clown school. What is happening here? I used the word embarrassed maybe 
like too much because there's some things where just it's bad and no one's got a reason to be embarrassed which is not played well but that play where they mess up the field goal teams and everything that was a genuinely embarrassing like phase of play <laughs> especially because Anthony Lynn right now has taken over special teams yeah for a coach that is under pressure to then go and do that which is I would probably say that that's Aside from the Cowboys Falcons onside kick disgrace, that was probably the most embarrassing special teams moment of the year. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. It's not a good look for Anthony Lynn at all. No, completely agree. And then, I mean, you fast forward to the end of the game. Chargers and Falcons just took it in turns, killing themselves with mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Matt Ryan moved into field goal range to win, but then fired the interception. Herbert then moved into kicking range, but tossed a pick on third down. Ryan was then given the chance to redeem himself, but heaved an interception on the sideline. It was just ridiculous end to a game. It was genuinely a case of both teams doing a really good job of trying to grasp defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, and just one thing I would like to add. I said a few weeks ago about Keenan Allen being an untrendy player, but hey, look, He's had the most receptions of any wide receiver in his first 100 games. He hasn't even reached 100 games yet. He's had 99, but he hit 623 receptions in 99 games. The previous record for 100 games was Antonio Brown's 622. And for reference, the third place player now is Julio Jones, who had 619 receptions in 100 games. So Keenan Allen has made a flying start as the possession receiver to start his career. Man to target in PPR. Man to target in PPR, 100%. Absolutely. Okay, next game. Maybe a shock result. It was a shock result. Saints 21, Eagles 24. Yeah, I mean, it's Hurts' first start for the Eagles and his first victory. And whilst his passing game was inconsistent at times, it was his scrambling, really, that had the Saints on the back foot. He scrambled for 106 yards on 18 rushing attempts. Yeah, and talking about scrambling, I just think the incredible jinx ability of this podcast last week on the show i said about the saints i said that no player had run over 100 yards on the saints for 55 games and i thought that was quite an impressive stat 55 game streak this week two players ran over 100 yards against the saints after (laughs) i just said that you had both sanders and hertz going over 100 yards so uh the streak wasn't just broken it was smashed but there you go the jinx of this podcast Exactly that. You've spoken about Hill in the past before, and I think in a game where Drew Brees is leading the Saints, this is a different scoreline. Hill struggled in the same way that Hurts did, in fairness, uh, from the passing game. 21 seems like a low-scoring result for the Saints. Let's move on then to Washington football team versus the 49ers. I mean, Chase Young has to be the only one worth talking about in this game, wouldn't you say, Joe? Chase Young had a huge game, an absolutely huge game. He's, he's turning it into an absolute game wrecker. Every week now we're seeing him make big plays. You can see why some people thought that he could potentially go first in the draft. I mean, ultimately he didn't behind Joe Burrow and we can understand that. But he is definitely a top three draft pick and he's playing like it now. So where did this all go wrong for the 49ers then, do you think, apart from Chase Young? <laughs> It's hard to really pinpoint one thing. Mullins, I said he wasn't terrible last week. I stand by that. But he certainly didn't have one of his best games this week. It just seems to me every single pass he was throwing, he was putting too much mustard on it and throwing it too high. It was just way too much whip. He wasn't in a rhythm. 
He wasn't comfortable with his receivers. I think there was either a lack of confidence in himself or his receivers to be throwing the ball like that. He just wasn't letting the ball come out naturally. Now, he still threw 260 yards, which is fair enough. He still had a touchdown, but he had an interception. He was sacked four times. Just wasn't a great game. They didn't generate enough on the ground. There's just no rhythm to the San Fran game. Too many free and outs. I mean, just letting the Washington defense just have their way with them. And they did have another very impressive game. You know, we've said this Washington defense, it's come up big a few times this season. And I suppose what they're missing is is the offense, really. Yeah. Is the consistency of the offense. Because they've proven that they can do it from time to time. But the defense tends to show up almost every game. And it's the offense that often lets Washington down. Yeah. I mean, just the final thing maybe to take away from this game, the feel-good story of the year of Alex Smith kind of coming back, kind of hit a bump in a road this week with him injuring the same leg. Didn't seem too serious. It wasn't like he was in a lot of pain or anything, but it was obviously preventing him from playing. So we saw the return of Dwayne Haskins. And I mean, Haskins came on 7-12, 51 yards. He certainly didn't blow anyone away, but equally he saw the game off, which he didn't, if I recall, the last time he played for them at the start of the season. Let's move on then. And the next game, penultimate one, Steelers 15, Bills 26. I mean, it's another one you called right here, Joe, and it's proving to be a good week for you in our head-to-head. Must have done you some good this week, for sure. Well, notice that this is the first week as well that I wasn't let you copying like, all of my good answers. So it could be something, <laughs> could be something <laughs> about it as well. <laughs> Start getting those excuses out early, Joe. I will do. Yeah, I mean... The thing I would say is this is now the third game in the row for the Steelers where they've racked up a large number of mistakes. And I mentioned last week that they came into this game with 13 drops from their previous two contests. And yet they committed two drops from two drives to open the night. Yeah. And I suppose what was worse off the back of that is both of those drops came from Deontay Johnson, who was then pulled from the game until the second half which is a very big statement to make. But I think it almost looked like without Johnson on the field, Roethlisberger was starting to telegraph some of his interceptions, which is a really odd thing considering the wealth of talent that they have in this receiver room. And I know that we've said in the past that that is actually one of the strengths of the Steelers, that they have this three-pronged wide receiver room that really any one of them can go off at any given time. Well, it looked like without Johnson, Roethlisberger was making some silly decisions and forcing it a little bit, which led to a great number of turnovers. Well, the way that Roethlisberger's been playing all this season, he's been getting the ball out of his hands the fastest of any quarterback in the league. There's no one else who throws the ball as as fast as him. He basically holds the ball on average for 2.29 seconds, which is very, very low. Like you've got guys who hold it for, you know, over three. Baker Mayfield holds it for over three. He gets the ball out quickly. And I feel that whatever was going on, because of the drops, because of the mistakes that were being made, it was making him, you know, double think things and lack that confidence. And it just took him totally out of the rhythm that he's had for most of the games this season. He just wasn't in rhythm at all. And if he's not in rhythm there, you're not going to get the rhythm back with the run game because the run game doesn't exist for this team. Yeah, as we've said time and time before. Uh, yeah, it certainly didn't exist in this game. 17 carries for 47 yards, an average of 2.8. I mean, you're going less than three yards a carry. It's pathetic. So there's no run game there at all. So like, this is just textbook for way to beat this Steelers team. Take Ben out of a rhythm. And if he's not in a rhythm, 
then the whole O just starts to fall apart. And the Bills had a plan, they executed it, and they executed it well. It wasn't the best game I've seen Josh Allen play. Like, I mean, he was missing some throws that he shouldn't have missed. But he did what he had to do, and the team as a whole played well. Diggs was huge. Diggs made 10 catches, 130 yards, had a touchdown. It was almost a career day for Stephen Diggs. I agree. Allen did miss some passes, but I thought for the most part he was largely accurate. Look, he was 24 of 43. Yeah, it's not great, is it? It's not great, and it's the manner of some of his misses as well. Like, it weren't like he was thrown players covered well and, and, and possibly just getting knocked down at the last minute. It was more like he, he missed a few kind of open ones. But it doesn't really matter. They won. And at the end of the day, the Bills right now are 10 and 3. So they probably won't get the first seed, but they're right in the kind of top half of seedings. So potentially an easier game in the first round of playoffs. So do you think that this is potentially a slightly bigger problem for the Steelers? I mean, they've lost quite convincingly to this Bills team when Allen wasn't firing at 100%. This is the third game in a row now where they've had issues with drops and their pass game. We've shown that they really don't have much of a run game. Is the shine starting to come off this team a little bit? I think there were always those haters there when they were 11-0. and And there were like haters there saying they've beaten no one good. Most of the teams they've beat were less than 0.5 that they struggled against the Jags. People were saying, uh, saying all kinds of things. And, and so there's been haters who have been wanting to jump on the Steelers bandwagon for a long time. You give me a team right now, maybe aside from the Chiefs, who doesn't have a glaring issue somewhere. And I mean, the Bills are maybe one of the teams that has less of a glaring kind of problem. There's, it's less obvious where their kind of problems are. But most teams have a glaring problem. We mentioned this kind of like last week. The Steelers can't run the ball. Packers can't stop the run. The Saints don't have Drew Brees right now. There's glaring problems for most teams. So I don't think that they should be kind of worried more than any other team in particular. But I would say that unless they establish something in the run quickly, and I mean really establish something, you know, you need to be getting your average up to at least four yards to carry. Like, that's just basic. If they're not doing that, then they're going to be a one and out team in playoffs. And it doesn't matter what seeding they get. I can tell you probably six teams in the AFC that would beat them in the first round of the playoffs if they're playing like they are right now. Okay, big words. Big words, but I stand by it. And then we move on to the final game, Ravens 47, Browns 42. We touted it as game of the week and it didn't disappoint, did it, Joe? It delivered, it delivered. What I would say though, first half of this game, it wasn't the best football on display. I was watching it and I mean... No, you're right. Jackson had the wrong shoes on. The amount of times he slipped over. Now, he took four sacks. I think all four of those sacks were because he slipped over because he had the wrong cleats on. So he was slipping all over the place. The dropped catches from Marquis Brown in the first half. I think he dropped like three catches in the first half. Yeah. The Ravens made it hard for themselves. And had they pulled things together in the first half, then maybe it wouldn't have been as exciting and close a game as we saw. Yeah, it's a it's a very good point because actually both teams relied very heavily on their run games. And if, as you pointed out, the Ravens had capitalised on that start a little bit more, then the Browns wouldn't have really been able to rely on that to get them back in it necessarily. They'd have had to have aired the ball out a little bit more to play catch up. But this was two teams with solid run games. There were a total of nine rushing touchdowns in this game. Yeah. Two quarterbacks who started shaky but came back strong and two defences that were doing all they could to keep up with the action that was going down on Monday night. 
nine rushing touchdowns in a game. You know, that's never happened in the Super Bowl era. Hasn't ever happened. Really? No, 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 no. This has equaled the record for most rushing touchdowns in a game. Do you know the last time there were nine rushing touchdowns in a game, Chaz? 60s? 1922. 22, my goodness. And, and I could give you all the time in the world and you wouldn't be able to tell me the two teams who are in that game because I'm sure that the Rock Island Independents and the Evansville <laughs> Crimson Giants aren't teams that you're familiar with. Oh, they were on the tip of my tongue, Joe. Yeah, and then it's, I mean, it happened once more after that. So in 1922 again, Racine Legion beat the Louisville Brex 57-0. The first game was a 60-0 drubbing and then it was a 57-0 drubbing. Both of those games had nine rushing touchdowns in 1922, and that was the last time that it happened. That's just how momentous the game was last night in terms of the amount of rushing touchdowns we saw. Yeah, and tell you what then, whilst we're on the theme of stats, because I know you like this one, Monday night's 47-42 Ravens victory was the first game of that score in NFL history. Was it Scorigami? It was Scorigami, my friend, for the second time this season. Love a bit of Scorigami. There you go, add it to your list. Excellent. Well, there we go. So a lot of things to talk about, but I think we managed to route through it, Charles. Shall we move on to our predos for the week ahead? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so first game is Chargers against the Raiders. How you got this one, Charles? Oh, that's a bit of a tough one, really, because mm. both teams are not performing at their peak at the moment. I just think, though, from seeing how badly the Chargers nearly threw away that game against the Falcons, I'd expect the Raiders to capitalise on mistakes like that. So I will say Raiders by 12. Yeah, I also think that because the Raiders have got a little bit more to play for in that they are technically still in the hunt, they're going to have to try to play in this game. I'm just not sure if it's going to be a sneak win by the Raiders where it's less than a score or if the Raiders are going to blow out. I'm going to go for the sneak win and I'm going to go Raiders by four. Okay. Okay, so the next game we have is Bills at the Broncos. Yeah, I think that the Broncos might cause some issues for the Bills this week. Not enough to win because I think the Bills' offense is really potent at the moment, but I think we'll start to potentially see some of Allen's accuracy issues creep in with this strong Broncos defense. But I'll still say Bills by three. Okay, I'm going to go Bills by seven. Okay, and then we've got Panthers at Packers. Yeah, I can't see past the Packers for this. Packers by 13. Yeah, I've got Packers by 14. <laughs> Next one, Texans at the Colts. Yeah, um, again, it feels like it's a clear Colts victory here. So I'm going to say Colts by 13. I think it's going to be closer. And I can see this being a little bit more of a kind of scorey game. Colts by seven. Okay. And then we have the Jets against the Rams. Can anybody see past the Rams here? <laughs> Yeah, Rams by 16. Okay, I'm going to say Rams by 14. You're going quite close to me with a lot of these, Charles. Yeah, but not the same. So there can only be one winner. (laughs) There can only be one. Yeah. Okay, next one. Lions at the Titans. The Lions performed admirably against Green Bay the week just gone. But again, Titans seem like a very strong team. I'm going to say Titans by seven, though, because the Lions can cause trouble. Oh, hang on. No, because there's question marks over Stafford, isn't there? So actually, I'm going to say Titans by 16. 
I was hoping you wouldn't remember that. Yeah, uh, Stafford's out. <laughs> uh, so, so I was hoping you you were going to say something like Titans by three, and then I'd say like <laughs> Titans by twenty one, but not say why. So I'm so I'm going to say Titans by twenty one. Okay. Then we're on to the Bucks versus the Falcons. You were right to warn me off the Falcons last week. I, sh- <laughs> I, I should have bet there, but Bucks by ten. Okay, I think it might be a little bit more. I'm going to say Bucks by 16. Okay, we're not disagreeing with each other too much this week, are we? No. And I'm not sure if we are on this one as well. Jaguars at Ravens. Yeah, I've got Ravens here by 14. I'm going to say Ravens by 21. Then we've got Patriots at the Dolphins. Mm, how things changed. This was the first game of the season and the Patriots won the game. I think that the Patriots offense just isn't clicking enough right now to deal with this Dolphins D. Who would have thought about being saying Dolphins over Patriots for the start of the season? But I am. <laughs> Dolphins by three. Yeah, I agree with you that I think it is going to be a lot closer than potentially a lot of people are predicting. I think that Belichick just seems to have a number on rookie quarterbacks, but I still think Dolphins by seven. Okay, and then we move on to Bears at Vikings. Yeah, I'm struggling with this one. I don't know which way to go, but I think I'll I think I'll bet the Vikings on this one because as we pointed out, I don't think the Bears have much of a run game. Without the run game, the Vikings are okay defensively, and as we saw, Cook is uh, almost indefensible. So, I'm going to say Vikings by I'm going to say by 10. I can't see Trubs having two good games. Vikings by 6 though. Cool. Uh, then we got the Browns at MetLife Stadium against the Giants. Browns have got to keep things going. Uh, they were unlikely to lose this week, but they've got to keep their fingers on a pulse. Browns to win this one. Browns to win it by nine. Yeah, I've got Browns by seven. I don't know. I just... Giants, you can never tell, can you? And you can never tell with the Browns either. <laughs> I feel that the Browns raise their game a little bit more in the kind of divisional matches and those important matches. And when they're playing lesser opponents, and I say that respectfully, but teams that they're expected to beat, they seem to lower their game a little bit. Yeah, agreed. Next one, Seahawks at the Washington football team. Yeah, I mean, if they played as defensively good as they did in the previous weeks, then, you know, Washington stand a chance. But I just think that Seahawks are looking to kick it up a gear because they really want to make these playoffs and be roaring when they go into them. So I'm going to say Seahawks by... 10. Yeah, it just feels there's too much to play for with the Seahawks team. Agreed. I think they might do a little bit better there, though, because especially if Alex Smith is out and you've got Haskins given free reign to just throw interceptions all over the shop, even against the Seahawks D. It's almost like two opposite poles of magnets. <laughs> yeah. You've got a guy who just loves throwing interceptions against the secondary that is historically bad. Seahawks, though, Seahawks by 20. Wow, nice. Okay. And then we go into Eagles at Cardinals. Cardinals, I think that the Eagles game last week against the Saints was an aberration. I I don't see that happening again. I I personally don't rate Hurts. That's just my opinion. But I think in the limited sample size we've seen so far, he hasn't done much. And from what I saw in college, he didn't really do that much. Cardinals by 14. Yeah, I think the Eagles aren't going to be able to limit the Cardinals in the same way because Kyler Murray is a much better quarterback than Hill. So I've actually got the Cardinals by 10. Then we have Chiefs at Saints. I mean, this could be a Super Bowl preview. 
Yeah, it could be. Although, will we get Breeze back next week? They're saying they don't want to rush him. It's up in the air. So it, a preview maybe in terms of the teams who are competing, but maybe not in terms of their full lineups. Yeah, I think without him back, or even if this is his first game back, it, there's going to be a bit of rest there. So I expect the Chiefs to probably do relatively well here. I'm going to say Chiefs by 17. Fair amount. Uh, I don't think by that much, especially because, like I said, about how the Chiefs not beating teams by more than a score. Chiefs by six. And then we've got 49ers at the Cowboys. This could be one that we maybe disagree on for the first time. A little bit harder to call this. You know what? They've let me down so many times this season. So many times. Because it's at AT&T, because they seem to have raised the game a little bit, I'm going to go Cowboys by three. Nice. I'm going to stick with the 49ers, and that's because I don't think the Cowboys are going to be able to pressure Mullins in the same way that other teams have been able to do it from time to time. So I think the 49ers will be able to remain in control of this game. So I'm going to say 49ers by seven. And then the final game of the week, Steelers at Bengals. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be one where they get it back on track for me. I think they'll also want to put out a big performance. So I'm going to say Steelers by 16. Same thoughts exactly. Steelers by 21. Do you know what? This is to be expected as we draw towards the end of the season. We're going to line up on our predictions because you're starting to become very familiar with the way teams play and the outcome of games. Although saying that, Still haven't won an accumulator all season, so what do I know? <laughs> so there's only one game where we disagree on who's going to be the winner, and that's the 49ers-Cowboys game. Yeah. So yeah, so that's maybe the one toss-up game of the week, but everything else seems to be a strong team against the weak team. Yeah. Joe, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening, and we'll catch up next week. 